Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. Dan Jacobs. So we're going to get to the article on DenverSports.com. We'll get to some more of your action. I like this one. I get, I get, uh, I haven't even gotten to the, I haven't even gotten to the meat of the article yet. We're already getting the race card text. If you talk about LeBron James, anything unflattering about LeBron James, if you talk about LeBron James comments, you're a racist. You hate black people. That's, that's literally a text we're getting. Imagine going through that. Imagine uh, accusing a former defense attorney that spent a life starting as a public defender defending people of color against the injustices in the criminal justice system, fighting every day of his life to help correct the, the, the imbalance in the system. And he's the racist because of post-game comments of LeBron James. Imagine getting up every day... And having that in your heart and having that in your heart that every single time we have a, a, a conversation about sports and about LeBron's post-game comments, you have to bring up the, a race card and you have to call people racist. Man, you got to let it go. You got to have love in your heart, brother. You got to. And, and guess what? It's not going to stop me from having the conversation. So, DenverSports.com, did LeBron James take a shot at Malone's Nuggets in a cryptic post by Jake Shapiro? Denver Nuggets head coach Michael Malone has had a long friendship with Los Angeles Lakers forward LeBron James. The two were together in Cleveland nearly 20 years ago, but now that relationship may be turning into a rivalry. From across the ocean, James just can't seem to get the Nuggets off his mind, or at least that's how it appears. The NBA's all-time leading scorer posted a picture of him at the 100th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans where he waved the flag. With the caption insinuating he's been impacted by Denver's celebration. James wrote this message. In Europe, for the past few weeks, minding my business, and I hear I'm on your mind that much, question mark? I mean, I guess I see why. And then there's a shrug of the soldier's uh, shoulders emoji. But wave that flag of these lames. Lames, get it? Please make being player cool again because the lame machine is at an all-time high. You hear that, Vic Lombardi? He's calling you lame. LeBron James is calling you lame. Enjoy your light, but just know I am the sun. All caps. I stay on forever. During the Nuggets parade, a shot was taken with a host saying Malone is the Lakers' daddy. And given the Nuggets, just took them to the woodshed for four straight games. Now, wait a minute, Jake Shapiro. They didn't take him to the woodshed. Brian Windhorst said it was the greatest sweep of all time. It was the most hotly contested, greatest showing by a team getting swept ever. Actually, you said that too, Jake. Didn't you say that? When you Jake Shapiro came on with us... Um, uh, him and his fiance Katie, came on uh, from like the 2 to 3 a.m. hour. 
after they came over from Ball Arena, brought cheeseburgers. And he said he agreed. He said, oh, it was actually a pretty close sweep. But anyway, um, it says, during the parade, a shot was taken with, with host saying Malone is the Lakers' daddy, and given the Nuggets just took them to the woodshed, um, sweeping the Los Angeles out of the playoffs, it's hard to dispute that claim. Being the calculated attention seeker, James's only recourse after the beating was to drop hints about a retirement. That successfully shifted the narrative away from Denver's first trip to the NBA Finals and onto the 38-year-old forward. Meanwhile, Malone clapped back after winning the title, saying on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week, speaking of the Lakers, I just want you guys to know, and this is breaking news, I'm thinking about retiring. So Coach Malone now taking a shot at LeBron James. So you see, folks, it wasn't just me that brought it up. And it wasn't just, by the way, uh, for our race car guy, is, is Charles Barkley a racist too? Because he brought it up. As well, because as soon as it happened, it stuck in my craw because it's just not it's just not right. And it wasn't like LeBron didn't say a lot of very complimentary things about the Nuggets. He did. He said a lot of complimentary things about Jokic in particular. He wasn't it wasn't like your typical sour grapes um, holding a grudge and I'm going to take my ball and go home stuff by LeBron. I'm not going to characterize it like that because it's simply not true. He was very gracious in most of his remarks. But if we're going to sit here with our bury our heads in the sand and pretend that LeBron James doesn't know that when he drops these fake hints about retirement, that he's going to control the narrative for the next the news cycle for the next 24 to 48 hours, it's absurd. He knows it. He knows he's built a machine all built about his brand and all these things, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody is saying shut up and dribble. Nobody is saying that there is anything wrong with the way athletes handle. I'm not saying nobody because there are people that's, that have an issue with that. I don't. I don't have a problem with athletes now considering their careers as an enterprise, as a business. It's smart. So I don't have a problem with LeBron James' business model or things like that. I don't necessarily like the way LeBron plays. It's, you know, he's whiny and it's kind of boring. That was always kind of my issue with these national media types that say the, the, the Nuggets are boring. How are they boring? As far as on the court, they're not boring. They run the break every time they can. They get the rebound. They, they, they run sick, fast break. They pass the ball like crazy. They shoot three-pointers. They try and slash to the rim when they can. From a bat, they, you know, they play team basketball. They're not like, all right, let me pound the ball into the floor. They're not like, you know, Carmelo ball stopping, selfish basketball. They're not like LeBron, boring, one on one, trying to get to the foul line. Let's, you know, as a team, you know, shoot thirty seven foul shots and grind it out to a victory. Like they're not boring. The only thing they don't have is a diva. I find LeBron hard to watch because of the crying, and then, yeah, it's kind of bully ball. Now, there are parts in his career where he was a little bit more dynamic, but that's what is he lives off his reputation. It's about traveling and bullying and his physical domination and things like that. That's boring. The Nuggets are not boring on the court. Well, I guess you could say, I guess up until their party, their parades, they were boring. They're not boring now. 
Go on social media and check them out now. They're not boring. So, you know, the whole thing is just kind of, but I don't have a problem. You know, you know I don't particularly like watching him play basketball because he kind of gets under my skin. But that's, that's fair game. That's fine. But I don't have an issue with players saying, hey, this is my job. This is my career. This is my livelihood. And I don't have any problem with it at all. So they can do that. Um, but, yeah, this – but he's calculated. Like, my point is nobody is more sensitive to the brand and the platform and being, um, you know, curating the public figure, the public persona, which is LeBron James, which is King James than LeBron James. So it's just absurd on its face to think that LeBron – doesn't know what he's talking about when he's dropping these hints at retirement. And James Merrill, of all people, or Will Peterson, or any of these people, or this guy on the text line, you know, that's saying it's racist to, to suggest otherwise, that want to believe, if they want to bury their heads in the sand and believe, oh, the Nuggets are just friendly fire. They were just caught in the crosshairs of this nonsense that LeBron James was putting out there at the time. It's to me. It's it's it strains credibility. It's just not believable to me that we're going to sit there and say that LeBron didn't know what he was doing. Now, do I think he did it? Oh, maliciously because he was upset. The only reason he did it was because he was so upset to losing to the Nuggets that you know he wanted to get back at them, and it was just vengeful spite. I don't think that's the whole reason that he was just that poor of a sport. No. But I do think he's embarrassed, um, and he wanted to get re-control of the narrative, and he wanted to deflect attention from the fact that, yeah, dude, I just got swept out of the playoffs, and I don't want that to be the narrative. I don't want that to be the story. Let's talk about something else, and how do I do that? Oh, float retirement, boom. We'll talk about that for a couple days, and then, boom, I'm out of here. I'm off to Europe, and they're talking about the next series. Done. Mission accomplished. And that's what happened. And you know what? Guess what? Coach Malone took offense to it, rightfully so, because when the whole narrative is that the Nuggets aren't getting their due, they don't get respect, and this is their time to shine, this is a big moment for them, they're finally getting towards the mountaintop, and this guy comes in and does what he just did. And cal- you know, and my mind was calculated. I, I don't believe for not what it's not even to me like I'm giving like, oh, 1%, well, maybe you just didn't know better. Nope, I'm not even giving him 1%. He knew what he was doing. 100%. He wanted to reshape the narrative because that's what LeBron James does. He's been doing it since high, you know, since he got into the league, since you know, right out of high school. It's always been about shaping the narrative. So that's what it is. And Coach Malone has every right to do um, – he wants to clap back, that's fine. Do, you know, do we need to make that much? I, I I do see the, do we need to make it that much, our celebration about the Lakers? I, I could care less about the Lakers, to be honest with you. Yeah, see, uh, this one says, LeBron lames. Dude is cornier than L- Russ and flops worse than a fish out of water. That's from Scott in Denver. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of my problems with watching LeBron James. Flopping, crybaby, basketball. Like, I've talked about this. Even Jokic now, 
it's a ridiculous flopper, but he had to because that's what this game has become. We've For years, we've made fun of soccer because three years ago, Jokic is getting hacked, and even though he's a budding superstar, he can't get a call. Now he flops, and he gets calls just like not, not as bad as LeBron. Like we saw it in the bubble. The Nuggets are taking it to LeBron. He starts crying to the officials and cries publicly, and then the whole series changes based on his crying. And the, and the, the commissioner has talked about it. Yes, we have a serious problem. The flopping, they've got to find a way to fix it. <clears throat> and they really do. I mean, they, they it's going, I don't know. I mean, I guess the game is still popular. But it's becoming unwatchable. They have to find a way to work with the officials to get it out of there. LeBronda. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's see here. Also, you're not raw. Let's see here. Um, also, you're not wrong. There was an earlier text. Also, you're not wrong. DMAC is becoming a true Colorado treasure. That guy just did an incredible job during the Avalanche playoff run last year and then went next level all nugget season. Yeah, I give him a hard time, right? Because he's an empty nester now. I'm like, yeah, your wife doesn't want you hanging around the house, right? But no, he actually did. He was one of the first guys, and, and I, I've talked about this a lot. Back when I was producing, back for Irvin Joe and stuff, it was um, he was one of the first guys that says, if I'm going to be, because he was a music guy before, and then he got into, now, okay, I'm going to be a sports talk guy. So, well, if I'm going to be a sports talk guy, I'm going to go cover these guys. I'm going to go, every chance I get, I'm going to go to practices. I'm going to talk to coaches. And actually, John Fox, when he got fired, he gave a shout-out to DMAC about this. And he he cultivates relationships. He watches. He asks hard questions at press conferences. He shows up and do, does the work, and he actually preps four shows. Because a lot of these, you know, at the time, talk show hosts show up five minutes before the show starts, actually sometimes five minutes after the show starts, and just flip on a mic and talk about whatever comes out of their mouth, talk, what up at the top of their head. And DMAX says, no, I'm a professional, and if I'm going to entertain and talk, to, why would anybody want to listen to me if I don't put in the work? That's his philosophy. And he's he's at the mountaintop. He's been the number one afternoon drive talk show host for the most part for, I don't know, 15 years. And he's still putting in this work like this. He was doing 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. with me. For God's sake. Listen, I don't take myself so seriously to know that DMAC had no business doing that. You want to know why he did it? He loves it. It makes sense I'm doing it. I'm the weekend guy. And you can make fun of me for it, whatever. I was happy for the opportunity, right? Like Earth Brown says, when they give you an opportunity, you take it. I was happy to be here. And I was happy to be included in the station's plans. DMAC is the number one guy on the station, one of the number one guys on the station. He didn't care. He's like, I love it. I'll sleep when I'm dead. So DMAC's a good friend. We're actually going to talk to him on Monday when I'm hosting for the Juneteenth holiday. So, uh, but no, man, he's like Sandy Clough used to be. Or used to say, you know, throw him in, you know, put him on 24 hours a day, throw some pizza in the corner, and he'll be fine. Give him some bathroom breaks. It was good. I'll tell you a funny story about uh, what we were hosting as well later in the show. Uh, almost turned out disastrous on uh, the old 2 to 6 a.m. shift, overnight shift. Uh, I guess it was Tuesday morning, technically. It seems like Monday, but it was Tuesday morning, right? We'll talk about that later in the show. But coming up next...
Andrew Mason, who was covering the Broncos OTAs all week, for the last several weeks, actually, well, uh, from denversports.com, senior Broncos writer Andrew Mason, coming up next. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom to lay down the law in the sports world. Here's Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. Bring in uh, Andrew Mason, senior Denver Broncos writer for DenverSports.com. Mr. Mason, how are you, sir? All right, Dan. How are you doing? Man, you were like, um, I don't know the, I'm sure, I can't think of who it is, like characters on TV or in the movies. Like you came to the official watch party the other night, like you showed up, you were there, and then you were gone. Yeah. I, I just kind of slipped out very quietly yeah. at, at when the, when they won. Um, I'm thinking like, uh, are you thinking of like characters in a movie yes. or, or whatever? I, I was th- the one that came to my mind was in uh, this is total nerd reference here. Um, Star Trek: First Contact when they go back in time to kind of to see when they first meet another uh, race. Turns out the Vulcans, you know, like Spock and all that. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they go, but they're trying not to interfere with the timeline any more than they already have. Mm-hmm. Once they fixed it, like they just kind of watched from a distance and they're like, I think it's, and then Captain Picard says, I think now we make a quiet exit. So yeah, I kind of just, they won the title. Everyone was cheering and I, I, I made a, I made a quiet exit. And part of it was I had to, because I knew I had to be on standby in case we needed something at denversports.com. And it turned, everyone was busy. I ended up having, I ended up posting all the information about the uh, the parade and when when it was happening, and I was able to do that because I made that quiet little exit to a place where I could actually uh, get a little work done. Ah, I see. What about Jarrell, uh, Superman's dad, and that you know the new one of the the newer version of Superman? Like what was it called, Man of Steel? Like he was kind of in and out. Boop boop. He was there. He was gone all over the place. Maybe him. Uh, Maybe yeah, that's a good one. Or the waiter and Mr. Deeds. He was always like there, and then he was gone. You know, maybe. <laughs> These types of characters, exactly. they're, they're in, they're out. You know, that type of thing. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of, you know what? I kind of like making the unexpected arrival and then the quiet exit. That's that's kind of my vibe, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. So it's it sort of fit. But, but, yeah, you're probably looking around for me as, you know, they're having the speeches and all that. And you're like, Where, where's Mace? Well, it's just kind of. I kinda, there's a there was a little there's a little back area at the old Chicago where we were at that you can go out the patio and there's a little exit and I just kind of went to the patio. I hadn't ordered any food or anything either. I just came down to hang out with you guys. Right. And so it just kind of it, it worked out. But hey, everyone was happy. It's another it's another championship here in the Mile High City. So it's a good times, good feelings, good vibes. Yeah. So I was tweeting out. Because James said we're a basketball town, and I don't know, I don't know for a basketball town, but I said we're a sports town. Like we support, we support all of our teams. And I, I'm trying to think of, and you're you're a historian not only of what Denver sports, but you're really just of all kind of sports. Um, even though you come from Tampa, and they're not really notorious for supporting their teams all that well. But um, 
They're probably well, somewhere in the middle. They're somewhere in the middle. I it's, would only, say. it's only baseball that they have trouble with. They do great with the lightning. They do great with the bumps. So. Um, you know, I actually did a video. Where So I went to game six last year, and I was like, yeah. it was kind of funny. I did a video. I'm like, it's kind of dead here. And some guy, like, photo, he was like, no, it's not. Like, during the video I was doing for denversports.com, he's like, no, it's not. This guy's a liar. It's really hopped up down here. But it really wasn't. It was kind of a chill. Maybe they were resigned to the fact that they knew the Avalanche were their daddies, so to speak, and they were going to lose. But um, they did, Yeah, they, did, they were. And I'd also say all, the other thing also, when you've won the previous two titles, and it's kind. Of, and I think it was even apparent, like it was apparent in those finals that, as someone who does follow the Lightning and follow the Lightning for thirty years, um, they they were on fumes. I think that would compared to what I've seen because I've been at playoff games down there that were like playoff games here in Denver. So, I think you just caught. I think you caught the Lightning fans on a night where they sort of they knew that they they kind of knew what their fate was, but. Also, you know, everyone's kind of thinking, wow, still, you know what? They made it to the finals three years in a row. They won two. And there's right. a re- I mean, okay, there's but a I also went to, appreciation for what they've done. I also went to a Bucks game the year before they got Tom Brady. And, you know, oh, the stadium's too hot because there's no shade on one side. And it was empty, right? Like, you know. Well, they, but they hadn't made the playoffs in 12 years at that time, though. That's, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're down for long enough. I, look, I remember 20 years ago when the Nuggets were down. And you could get, there were, you know, if there were, there were 12,000 people in the building and you could get, you get a ticket for like five bucks, you know, I mean. Oh, I know. That's what people were laughing about. Like you could get the four hot dogs, the four Pepsis or beers and the four nachos, whatever. And the four tickets for like, I don't know, $44 or something. And they were worse than the league in attendance for like three straight years prior to the takeoff. That's why I say, I don't know, for a basketball town, we're a sports town. And so I was going to ask you to rank him, you know, because, like, obviously we don't like Boston. But Boston has a lot of people, a lot more people than we have. But they are a good sports town. I would say, again, New York, a lot more people. But they're a really good sports town. But, again, with a lot more people. Um, Where would you rank Denver? Because we support, especially if they're winning, but even when they're not winning, as long as they're not too bad for too long, we support all of our teams, I believe. Where would you rank Denver as a sports town across the board? I think we got to be, you know, top five or more. I think so as well. I mean, um, yeah, you'd have to put Boston in there. Um, and, and, but, again, it's, it's the numbers, right? Because, like uh, – in New York, you know, most of the, you know, most of the teams, you know, that they have draw, like the Knicks still draw, even though they're terrible, but look at the population from which they're drawing. Exactly. Right. I mean, I think you kind of have to, to, to factor that into play. Uh, this market really, I mean, we, we punch above our weight here, I think. Um, and I, and I'll tell you, I mean, a good example is, and some of it is is because the venue is such a great place to go, and the team and, and the marketing department is, does terrific. But the fact that we're still sitting here with the Rockies, as irrelevant as they have been on the uh, on the on those Major League Baseball wide stage, that they that we're still looking at them being a team that's going to draw two and a half million people this year, probably. Yeah. Uh, that to me, that says. An off, it says an awful lot. Like, um, I, I've said it this week. I mean, I think this accomplishment for the Nuggets, it's 
probably in terms of significance for the Denver sports market. With all respect to the Avs titles, it was all, it was different with the Avs because they basically came in the first year, won it all, and that's a different dynamic. But as far as like waiting and going and, and you know going through the fire over the years and enduring the heartache and enduring the, the frustration, I think the only thing that's going to be on the stage of kind of the top three with Super Bowl 32 and the Nuggets this week is if the Rockies ever break through and win a World Series. Oh, that would, that would I guarantee you, that would far surpass. As great as this was this week, I don't think it's ever yeah. going to happen, but the, the Rockies would far... People, the, the Rockies are a sleeping giant. They aren't Broncos, but they are a close second. I guarantee There's an amazing that. baseball town here in Denver that has just been so beaten down by what the Rockies have become and the lack of hope that there is. But if it ever comes together, it's going... It, it, look, if, if you remember Rocktober, I think it'd be bigger than Rock. It'll be bigger than that. But even I look at Rocktober, and in my 20 years here, I mean, other than like a Broncos Super Bowl run, that's kind of the, the moment when I look back and say that was the thing that really turned the town on its ear. With all respect to the Nuggets, even more than what happened in the last six to eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the, the Rockies would farce. Not farce. I mean, this was great. I'm not diminishing this, but yeah, this is a. If the Rockies were right, this would be a Rockies town close second to the Broncos. It's just weird. Like, people, I remember when the Rockies came here, and it was insane. They were selling out 80000 per game every night. Like, you, it was amazing. People love the Rockies. And it's just, you know, it's been 30-plus years. It's hard to win here. You know, they have challenges with the ownership. And the ownership wants to win. They just don't know how. And you have the altitude and you have the dimensions of the stadium. There's a lot of things working against them. But if they figured it out, Mason, can you imagine, let's say if the Rockies did a natural championship trend, right, which is hard for them to do, but they were really good one year and they kind of got close. And then the next year they were favored and they had a you know a good staff of pitchers and they were favored. Could you imagine they would sell out every night? And then if they won yes. and got to the World Series, and dude, it would be amazing. It would be insane. They would be the number one in attendance in the major leagues by a mile. They would absolutely. And you're right. Every game, even like even a, a Wednesday afternoon game against Pittsburgh, there'd be forty eight thousand people down there. Yeah, no, it, it would be it, insane it, in that type of scenario. Guarantee you. Uh, on the um, on ranking this, I I. I I probably would have to put a couple Broncos ahead of them. The Avs are, it's hard because, you know, Carton, when when Craig Carton was hosting on the station, he would always like, you know, try and, you know, get everybody's goat and saying, hey, you know, there are no hockey tans in this this town. There's 24,000 or 18,000 and they all show up to the games every night. Obviously there's more because we get a half million or more to the parades. But there's just still, there's just not that many people that know hockey. There's people that say, yes, I love the Avalanche. But they just don't know. There's just that many, you know, people, we played basketball growing up. We know it. So when the Nuggets, you know, a lot of us love the Nuggets, it's just been hard because, you know, they've had a lot of tribulations. So, yeah, I, I think it is bigger. It's just, isn't it harder for hockey in this town? Just because we, you know, it's hockey's a hard sport and, you know, in, in general in this country. It is. And it's and it just, there's, I think it's just, there's kind of a ceiling on the fan base of hockey. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as knowing it. More simply, more people play basketball than play hockey. It's at some point, right? More more people play basketball. More people have played baseball, 
And I think also with, with base with baseball, that's you know it's embedded in the cultural DNA in a way that hockey isn't in this country. Like or the way like hockey's embedded in the cultural DNA of Canada and then parts of the country. Like you go to the like you know in Minnesota, and uh, in you know in 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 Wisconsin, in, in Michigan, places like that, hockey's really kind of a part of the DNA in a way that it just isn't here on a wide scale. And so I think that kind of, and I think that com- comes into play as well. And the other thing with the Rockies, a baseball team in a, in a major metropolis like Denver, more people are going to naturally go to that just because there are more tickets available. So more people kind of have, they have that experience of seeing the Rockies in person, right? I mean, if, if, if you're getting, you know, they'll probably end up this year, in spite of everything, averaging 30,000 a game over four, over 82 games, I mean, or 81 home games. That And that just inevitably, just that adds up in a way that I think is why is, is, is why would you have that. And then, again, like with the Nuggets, people play the sport more. So it's, it's nothing against hockey. I mean, you know, I love hockey. I mean, I know you do too, but it's just, in terms of the wider cultural zeitgeist, it doesn't kind of reach the same level that the other three teams in this town do. Now, you, that's the second time I've heard one of you big highfalutin media types use that word zeitgeist this week. And, you know, I, I have a, an advanced degree. I have a doctorate degree. Explain the word zeitgeist to me. Well, kind of like um, what's usually used in terms of, like, uh, culture, just like, the you know, the the, the stuff that kind of that, that are that, that represents kind of the things that have a common frame of reference that are deep they're they're deeply embed, embedded in our culture whether you're talking about like entertainment culture sports culture uh you know denver area culture for example whatever i mean the denver zeitgeist would include everything from you know going you know going to a you know going to a fireworks night at the rockies or going on the rooftop to a you know, a bowl of green chili, right? At your fa- at your favorite spot that serves green chili, all that and, and so much more is part of what the Denver zeitgeist is, in my opinion. All right, I hate to do this, but because I, I also want to ask you about OTAs, but I just happen to be scrolling on my phone right now. Russell Wilson just released a video of him working out, working hard. Oh, uh, so everybody's talking about comeback. So Rachel V Hill, your your teammate, comeback season loading, Troy Rank. Restoration, redemption, however you want to frame it. Wilson is motivated to rebound. My problem, obviously not, is he can post what he wants and this and that, and this is him working hard. Problem is, how do you frame that? Oh, he didn't work hard last year? He worked hard last I mean, year. He always works hard. Uh, what, 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 the, what difference does this stuff make when he always said he worked hard, nobody worked harder than him, he's doing the jumping, or what was he doing on the plane, the sprints on the plane when everybody else is sleeping? <laughs> I mean, he always worked hard. He always said he worked harder than everybody else. He always got there first in the morning, first in, last out. Like, what is the difference on the field going to be? How does that – what difference does that make when he was not able to make the throws last year? I mean, I wouldn't put too much significance on a hype video. I mean, basically, we're talking about an individual hype video, right? I haven't mm-hmm. seen that. I was out to brunch this morning. Well, yeah, so. he just posted it, so you were on talking to me. There's no way you could see it. Yeah, yeah, it's a hype video. It's him working out, doing like various, you know, uh, slides and you know exercises in a gym. So it's fine. I, mean, I have nothing against it. I'm not hating on him. But my question is, yeah. his problem last year—I don't care that people in the media called him fat. It's not true. 
Okay, I don't believe it wasn't that he was in good enough shape. My problem is it looked to me there seemed to be a decline where he was not making the types of throws that he needed to make. They were late. He wasn't seeing the field right. The offense wasn't set up in a way for him to succeed, which is weird to me because I don't believe that Hackett's a moron and didn't know how to put him in positions to succeed. Something wasn't right from a football level last year. It has nothing to do with the way he worked out. I don't think he got fat and he didn't work hard enough. I don't think he didn't watch enough tape. I think he watched plenty of tape. What is the missing ingredient here? And it has nothing to do with hype videos. Okay, for him and the offense, I think the missing ingredient is simplicity. Um, I actually asked Tim Patrick about this uh, a week and a half ago when he kind of he had his had a press conference. Maybe it was actually a few days ago. Like they all kind of blend together, and I and. I know Tim said something last year during OTAs about just how much mental work they had to put in, like how every night they're having to like they're they're having to study the scheme, uh, you know, up till eleven midnight, and then you know they're back uh, working on it the next day at OTAs. Um, I think last year they threw too much at them, and I think Nathaniel Hackett tried to basically have this. Frankenstein's monster mashup of the concepts he wanted and the concepts that they felt were going to work for Russell Wilson. And they came up and basically came up with this voluminous offense. Whereas this year they're kind of saying, we're going to get, we're going to get some core competencies down and we're going to sit, we're going to build out, hopefully build out over, over years. And I think if, if thing, one of the things that did fell the Broncos last year was I feel like in terms of the system, they were throwing too much at him. They were they were trying to install the entire the, the entire depth and breadth of the scheme in one off season. Whereas the reality is, you need to start by building a core and then adding to that and then expanding on that and saying, okay, the next off season we're gonna we're gonna expand on, on on the groundwork we laid the first year. I think that had a lot to do with the failings the Broncos had, and it was more so it was more than just Russell Wilson. And it did involve the, the coaches, I think, trying to put too much on them. And it's been something different this year. And I think you'll see the results when it matters. So tell me about OTAs. You got a couple minutes here. What did you see? Okay. Well, I mean, what I saw a lot. These The restrictions were under. I can't say everything. Oh, well, hold on one second. That, hold on one second. Are we still under yeah. the restrictions? Are we not? DMAC said the other day, and I didn't get a chance to hear all of it, he said, we all thought after the first day we were a little bit confused. We thought we couldn't talk about anything, but I think we can now talk about stuff. So what is the policy? I mean, basically, if it's addressed by Sean Payton or somebody else, we can talk, we can talk about it, right? So I can sit here and tell, I can tell you uh, that they've got, you know, they're, they're working up some, you know, some interesting stuff with the, with the tight ends, for example. Like Greg Dulcich, one day he had a big day getting open downfield. Then another day, Albert Oak waving off. Uh, did uh, Dulcich actually said he actually said um, this thing that Sean Payne has talked about, like a, where one of your tight ends or running backs is what they call a joker, a guy who can kind of move around, be a versatile weapon. It's you know he talked about Greg Dulcich in that way, but Dulcich said, "Hey, it's multiple people," and I'd say that includes Albert O being in that in that mix as well, and maybe even Adam Troutman, the tight end they traded for. So what we so kind of what we saw, I think. If, if you watch the New Orleans offense under Sean Payton, I think 
there's there's a lot of elements of that that we're going to see. We're going to, you know, a lot of, you know, quick rhythm type of stuff. I think we're going to, you know, we're going to see an emphasis on, on the ground game as well, as well going forward. Um, I'll tell you what, though, like when you look at kind of the roster and players and individual that they're doing well, really impressed by the depth that uh, at wide receiver. We focused so much this offseason on Jerry Judy getting the fifth-year option, uh, Tim Patrick coming back from the ACL, whether Portland Sutton can get back to where he was uh, and hasn't yet approached since he had his ACL injury back in 2020. But something that to look at, for example, is a guy like Brandon Johnson, who was on the roster last year uh, and uh, in, impressed in training camp, and he's now impressing another coaching staff here. That dude was catching everything. And as I was telling a couple people uh, watching practice, that I said Brandon Johnson is playing at a level where you're saying, where he's basically saying, yeah, I dare you to cut me because he's, he, he's, he's involved and clearly he looks, he looks to have grasped things. And I think, um, so I look at a position, so I look at like receiver and tight end as two positions that uh, I think are going to be among the most fascinating uh, of, of camp. And then the other thing that you have to talk about with Sean Payton is how he runs practice, how he will stop practice to emphasize a specific situation, a specific detail. Kareem Jackson's been around 14 years, says, hey, no disrespect to any of the coaches I've played for, which includes Gary Kubiak down in Houston, but he's never seen a coach with that level of attention to detail and uh, that, that kind of football IQ before, basically. I, you're, you're operating kind of on a, on a higher level in terms of detail that I think probably we have not seen around here since Mike Shanahan. And actually, that's one of the some of the vibes I get from watching a Sean Payton practice is there's a lot that harkens back to the salad days of watching uh, Mike Shanahan run a practice. All right, my friend. Thank you. Great work as always. My pleasure, Dan. Talk to you later. I will right, we'll catch all this stuff. That's Andrew Mason. He's got a bunch of stuff from OTAs on denversports.com. Check all that stuff out. It's, uh, it's, it's great stuff. That's Andrew Mason. Your chance to react coming up next. Judge, jury, executioner. Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. When you're on a holiday, you can't find the words to say. Check out all of his stuff at denversports.com. A little disappointed. Like we said, we're not going to die on the hill because, um, well, hopefully it's just OTA stuff. During the season, you don't get to watch practice. And during training camp, they can't really stop you from saying what you want to say because it's open to the public, right? There's not much you can do about it. I, I was a little surprised, though, to hear about the... And we're going to let you in to watch one. I think it was it was it just one practice allowed to watch, or were you allowed to watch all of them? I can't remember. Um, but you can watch, but you can't talk about it unless I talk about it, and I'm only going to talk for five minutes. So, come on. Here's the thing. I think, just from what I get, the feel I get from Coach Payton, I think he and I would get along very well. If if you gave me. Coach, if you're listening, come on the show. Come on in studio, whatever. Come on in. And generally, I don't like to do these little interviews because um, they're just, 
you know, they're not real fruitful. But I think I get a good vibe off Coach Payton. And I think I could help Coach Payton understand a few things. And I could help him understand uh, there's not a whole lot to be afraid of with this gaggle of media muggles, as DMAC calls them, here in Denver, Colorado. And maybe we could have a nice little discussion. And I wouldn't have wanted to have a discussion with Vic Fangio, to be honest with you. I don't think that would have been real fruitful. It probably would have gotten pretty ugly. Because I probably would have got it would have probably would have gotten adversarial. Because I think if I think if I would have had Vic Fangio in for the Dan Jacobs show, I think I would have it would have been more of a cross examination. And I would have been more inclined to just, just pick him apart for for his shortcomings. And for his questionable decisions, right? And I don't know with Coach Hackett. Um, I don't know what it would have been like. I, I don't think it would have been because I, I just think he was in so far over his head. And I think he would have given you, I think any any answers from Coach Hackett, for example, I, I, I don't think they would, you know, there's a, a phrase, I don't think they're worth the, the, print, the, the paper they're printed on. I don't think anything that came out of Coach Hackett's mouth was particularly trustworthy, not because he wasn't a a guy that – I don't think he was a guy that lacked integrity. I just don't – I don't think he was in a very good position. I think he was in way over his head. And I just don't think he knew what he was doing. Coach Payton, though, I wouldn't mind having a conversation with Coach Payton. If we could just get him in here, get him on the phone. I'd rather have him in here so we could see each other and we could talk. And I could say, Coach – let me tell you, let's talk about a couple of things here. He seems like a good guy. And he's funny. He's got some charm to him. You know, Zach By, it was cool to see Zach By um, talking about, like, how, you know, Coach Payton owns a room. He owns the stadium. Like, he's out there at Ball Arena sitting courtside, and he's just talking, chatting everybody up. He wants to chat everybody up. And I wouldn't mind him coming up here and here. But we could, I think we could bridge... Some common, you know, we we could cover some common ground and and bridge some gaps here between him and the media. I think I can maybe talk to him and say, Coach, I understand some of your motivations here, but let, let let's chat about a couple things, and maybe I could assuage some of your fears, maybe some of the insecurities that you might have, maybe some of the paranoias that might be driving some of these things. Maybe we could talk through some of these things. Um, and I could become a, maybe a trusted friend that you could lean on when, when some of these things pop up in your mind. Because I think we would get along. I mean, I was the guy. Like, the, the, the minute, because I was on the air, the, it was a holiday. It was a Monday. And I was on the air when Coach Hackett was fired. Remember, it was after a brutal game. And I think there was reporting, oh, no, Hackett's safe and this and that. And nope, bloop, he's gone. In fact, I think I just had. I won't. I won't mention names because I would. You know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I just had somebody on, and they said, "No, it looks like he's safe." And then, boom. What? And honestly, that's not on the reporting, by the way, either. It was because I think our GM had no intention of firing Coach Hackett. I think it came out of. I think it came from the the top. I think Coach Hackett's boss had no idea that he was going to have to fire him. So I don't want to take shots at the reporters because I don't think they knew. I, I think their sources probably didn't tell them either. 
because they didn't know. Their sources didn't know because the, because it came right from the top. Now, should it have come to that? No, I don't think it should have come to that. But it is what it was. But I was on the air, and right away I'm like, if you can get Coach Payton, it's a slam dunk. And then right away I DMAC on. He's like, oh, no, there's one choice, one choice alone. It's Jim Harbaugh. And people make an excuse. Oh, there's Bounty Gate. You have to give up draft picks. And I'm like, where, what universe are we living in? Are we talking about what bizarre world are we talking about when we clearly have a best candidate, a coach that is the best, but we're making excuses not to hire the guy because of, I don't know, Bounty Gate that happened God knows what, you know, not God knows what, but a long time ago that's over. And this guy's been coaching since then with no issues. So I don't want to hear about Bounty Gate. And, oh, well, we might have to give up a draft pick or two, whatever it is, to get this guy when he's a leg- when we've been crippled by substandard coaching for six years or whatever it is. It's clearly the number one problem with this organization is leadership at the top, the culture. This guy's a winner. You pay whatever price you need to get him within reason. I don't want to hear all the other mess. I don't want to hear about Harbaugh or D'Amico Ryans who doesn't have the experience or these other candidates that weren't qualified. There was one guy, and I was on these airwaves, the first guy to say it, and there was no question in my mind. So I like Sean Payton. But I wouldn't mind saying, Sean, come sit down for a second. Let's just chat. I think, I think there's a couple things that I could help you out with. I've been around a little bit. Let's chat. I'm just saying. That'd be fun. All right, uh, a couple other texts I want to get through here. And then um, yeah, I want to get into the discussion. Where do – is it fair to the avalanche? Are they already kind of handicapped in this discussion? We were talking about with Andrew Mason, but where does the Nuggets championship rank all-time in the city's history? We'll continue that conversation coming up next.